What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com. All right, all ready? All right, are we rolling? That's it. All right, uh, I'm going to interject with another song here. Before I play it, I'll tell you, uh, sometimes I write songs in my dreams. I, I guess everybody does. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Who knows? Uh, sometimes I write them about my dreams. Sometimes those two things inter- like intertwine. And uh, in the recent past, I was asleep and I heard someone call call for me. Mm-hmm. And to wake me from my slumber, and it was it was real. I heard the door open. Heard him call me. Anyway, um, and I woke and I went looking for him. Call, I called back, but they were not there. Mm-hmm. I guess it, I, guess, I guess it turns out I was dreaming. I was dreaming the call for me. And uh, I also had a melody. I had words. I had an overflowing of things. And like is my custom, every day of my life mostly, in all my quiet moments, you know, I can't stop. I don't know why. Uh, I sat down and took a pen to paper and I wrote this song. And this is kind of a callback to a dream. So I can't say this was formed. Some of the times... uh, I'm dreaming and I write a whole song in my dream. It's inspired in a dream and I wake up and I, I'm just, I just dictate it. Mm-hmm. And I got a few of these in this pile here. Uh, but without further ado, as I might say on stage, whenever I'm fortunate enough to be there, here's, here's a song. Here's a song I wrote. I hadn't really titled it, but uh, here, hey, here we go. Call my name, call my name Girl and don't make it a whisper Cause I've been too long a drifter Out here riding on the range Don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed Of my wild hair and my blisters And my gun hand when it trembles Every time I smell the rain I get tired out here walking Across the streets with all the strangers Have embraced against the dangers At the raising of the day The days are long I'm not careful. Well, I'll kill off all your memories. The cost won't soon forgive me. And I'll have to take the blame, take the blame, take the blame. Because it burns me like an ember. And it takes me down to cinder. And it blows me right away, right away, right away. You can find me out here wailing. Mostly light and heavy laden. With the things that I won't say and I won't say. I can't say what will come of me tomorrow, but I hope that it ain't sorrow, and I hope that we can stay, we can stay, we can stay. Oh, together for a moment, 
And I hope that I ain't dreaming When you call out my name Call my name Call my name Girl, and don't make it a whisper Cause I've been too long a drifter Out here riding on the range Don't be ashamed Don't be ashamed Of my wild hair and my blisters And my wild heart when it trembles Every time you call my name Right on. We got another one. We got another song there. In the, I mean, no, we just got one. So yeah. that's two we got. And I'd like to say thank you for the capo. Uh, I borrowed a capo for that one. Yeah. And uh, I don't even know why I capoed it. But uh, capos escape me. Like every time I get a capo, I don't know what happens to it. Yeah, I mean, your capo's here. It's safe. Yeah. For the moment. <laughs> But uh, uh, they, they run. Like I, I, I know. In the old days, uh, my friends and fellow musicians used to accidentally appropriate them. You know, mm-hmm. they borrow it. It goes on their headstock. And it goes home. So I started carving my name in them, and mm-hmm. I did that with sound hole covers too. Back when I used to think you needed a sound hole cover, and uh, sometimes now, even now, I'll be around a musician who I used to know twenty years ago, and they'll be playing with a capo, and they'll have my name carved in it. And uh, I, I just take great joy in that. I don't take the capo back. I'm yeah. like, that capo. And, 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 and it, what amazes me is... That was 10 capos ago. <laughs> for me, it was 20 capos ago. But for yeah. them, it's the one capo that they have had since they lifted it off of me. Yeah. And I even lifted one of myself a time or two and uh, on accident. But uh, from a few good musicians. and uh, But I carved their name into it. And now... And it got lost. So somewhere out there, there are capos with other musicians' names carved into them that other people have lifted. But I was the the instrument of that. <laughs> well, man, just to go back into the story and uh, just to go back to uh, your mother uh, for a while. And a fairly interesting story about how your, your mom and dad met. The old how I met your mother. Yeah. Um, so my dad had just got back from Vietnam. All right. He was drafted and and went to Vietnam in 1966. He was a CB. Mm-hmm. He was a, never been in the military in his life. And they drafted him. They brought him down there and uh, interviewed him. And he went down there, and, and they understood what his experience in construction was, and they made him an E-5 mm-hmm. on the first day. Like He went to Vietnam as an E-5, hmm. having never been in the military, to tell you how good he was at what he did as a construction person mm-hmm. and uh so he gets uh oh let me tell you what we could talk about we i don't know we got time to talk about some of the vietnam stories we, i'm sure we got all the time we won't but let me just skip way past some of that and when he got there uh, uh another e5 came up to him and he says uh sharp your duty today is to go take the uh i don't say it on the radio but you know they had these barrels full of waste human you know like, mm-hmm. and they burnt these this is what they did with them to get rid of them he says your job today first day is to go and burn all this stuff mm-hmm. and my dad says he's a pretty smart guy he says no he says uh that's what you're doing today he says no i i guess says no i outrank you and dad says no i'm an e5 he says yes but i've been an e5 for five years and dad says yeah well i got mine or he says I, i'm an e5 too and i've been in the navy for five years dad says well i got my e5 the day before you got yours because i checked 
I checked the paperwork before I got out here. So you go burn it. Ooh. And that, this is the nature of telling you a little bit, a very little bit about my dad's personality. And uh, so that's, I said, what happened? He said, I don't know if he burned it or not. I didn't care. He says, but I can tell you that I never saw him again the entire time I was in Vietnam. Never laid eyes on that guy. Ooh. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> dad got home from Vietnam. He made it. He was the first uh, veteran that returned to this county from Vietnam alive. Now. He was the first living one that came back. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went and was working. He was, say he's working. He was at the VFW serving. I like to say he was serving drinks, but he'll always correct me and say it was setups. We weren't. We didn't serve alcohol. We didn't serve booze. I, I was serving setups. Mm-hmm. And uh, Saturday nights they had a band. And he was out there behind the bar. My mother was playing the band. She was, you know, the piano player. And, uh, well, they, they met and I guess they liked each other. And, uh, well, on the breaks, she would come around behind the bar and visit with him. Mm-hmm. And one of these nights, I don't know when someone, some man who was trying to get my mother to dance came up, Patty G, I want you to dance with me. And, uh, no, 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 I'm not dancing. He kept on, he kept on. I want you to dance. My dad, of course, says uh, says to him, says, "All right, Hoss." He used to he used to call you Hoss. When you, when, when he called you Hoss, wasn't he, speaking friendly. He, there was a certain he used to call me Buddy Row, and uh, he called me Hoss once in my life. I ain't telling that story. <laughs> but uh, all right, Hoss. He says, uh, "She don't want to dance with you. You might as well go on." And he says, uh, "The guy." did this thing evidently that people used to do and and he did a little dance boxing dance and rolled his hands around in front of him like setting up to to do a punch out mm-hmm. you know when my dad was younger he he occasionally might tell this story he might not he would he would do the motion for me now, I later saw this motion it, people do this they instinctively project their intentions with a little hand rolling. It's like when you see them, see somebody in the old Western movies, lick their thumb and then, and get ready to get ready to fight. You know, Mm -hmm. why do they do that? Why do they lick their thumb and put it in the fighting sense? He says he rolled his hands at him and he might've said something unfriendly. And, uh, well, my dad came all the way over the bar and hit him one time and, uh, knocked him, out of the building there was a door behind him he went all the way out knocked out all the way down the stairs all the way into the uh into the end of the yard hmm. and uh nobody touched him nobody helped him it wasn't like maybe today today who knows you know you'd have that would be something big that happened you know? yeah but in those days we're talking about 1967 mm-hmm you got knocked out of a bar. You might lay there till you woke up, you know, and evidently he did. Cause later he was gone. And, uh, that's how he met my mama. <laughs> and, uh, well, dad was sitting at the local little, I keep hesitating about telling actual names of landmarks, like it's dangerous or something, but he was sitting at pops. Okay. Pops used to be the, the burger joint. 
and uh setups <laughs> well they were setups they really wasn't they really weren't selling alcohol you know yeah. you might have they might have had some and might it's a strong it's just, word it's just nuance right? it's nuance but uh you know there's a whole later story that whole deal the whole vfw thing we I, I, I interject my own story now i'm a sideline officer we in the last years before this whole thing hit you know everybody shut down we uh we and i say we we the guild whole nother story went out there and uh p- played a bunch of gigs we started playing at the vfw again because it, it's been basically musically unused for many 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 years and i decided i was like i'm gonna go play and that's the first that's not the first time I, my first time was like my right after high school in my first band i went and did a vfw gig and booked it and brought my band and it was cool and that's a whole nother story and there's a particular veteran I'd like to call out for sneaking in. And he's probably still guilty. He didn't pay his fee. He wrote his number on his hand. Now, I really went four levels past the story. So, Dad was sitting at Pops next next day, next afternoon, after he knocked this guy out the door. And I didn't even tell you the whole story about that. I, there's some parts I can't tell of that. <clears throat> or I won't. And uh, he's sitting there. And this car wheels up beside him. And Oh, and, and by the way, before this, everybody around town... I told him, said, Bobby Glenn, uh, so-and-so, whoever he was, he can tell you. It don't matter now. He's probably dead. So-and-so is a bad man. And we know you done knocked him out the door, knocked him out. You ain't getting away with this. Mm. You would better, you better be prepared for something. Okay. He's kind of, he's going to come, you know. Retribution. Do, do what he's going to do. That's it. And it pops in his car. Windows roll down. Well, here comes this fella in his car. He wheels up beside him with his window down, slid to the side. And Dad said he just reached over in the uh, the passenger seat there and got a hold of his uh, poker gun. Whole another story. Uh, we talked about this song right here in front of me about the poker gun. And uh, he uh, got a hold of it and, well, guess, you know, whatever. I don't think the guy saw it. I don't know. I'm sure he didn't because my dad never would have, like, touched it if he wasn't going to use it and uh he said the guy says are you bobby glenn sharp he says i am he says well i want to apologize to you he said i was rude last night and you knocked me out of that building he says and i deserved it and i just want to tell you i'm sorry hmm. and my yeah um you never expect us to go that way <clears throat> you never do maybe somebody done told him maybe somebody done been around at his house and said uh buddy <laughs> This uh, this fella just got back from Da Nang. Yeah. All right, and uh, and maybe, maybe somebody then told him about some things I ought not talk about about, you know, and uh, that says, all right, no problem, no problem, bud. It's all right, okay. And he rolled on out of there, and that was the story of the end of that fight right there. <laughs> and uh, I've combed the woods on occasion. Uh, around the VFW in the direct area that I was told that there was some nefarious weaponry that was late in the 60s ditched out there. And uh, now I'm going way off. Y'all don't say, oh, it ain't there. Ain't nothing there. You ain't going to find nothing out there. If there was something that got it or it wasn't there to begin with, because it was a lie. Uh, half the stories people ever tell is embellished in lies to begin with. So my daddy, don't, I ain't never heard him tell a lie. I don't think he's going to tell a lie, but I saw him slap a man or two that was 20 years younger than him in his day for telling a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. 
Anyway, that's the story how my and my so they got married, and then I was born maybe five years after that. So there you like, go. And, and so, I mean, just back to you, and I think, I, I guess we're up to uh, the Oxford days, and I don't want to skip uh, okay. too far ahead, but I think that's where we are on the timeline. Uh, sure, we can, be, we can be there. The time, You know, time is not a line. It's a circle. It, I never, to this day, I, like I, I don't view it as a line. It's not linear. Time is absolutely not linear. It is a circle. The moment we are existing in right now is the same moment we existed in 10 years ago. And the moment we exist in 10 years from now will be the same moment we're sitting in right now. It is time is a circle. I think it rhymes, too. Good. It, I don't think it repeats itself. I think it rhymes. You think that time rhymes or that what I just said rhymes? Both. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, more of the second. I think you know. I've always thought that. I've always understood that a, a moment isn't forever. A moment isn't forever, and it actually never happened. All at once, it is fleeting. Every day we wake is another day for the potential of anarchy in our lives. Absolutely. And uh, that is just what happens. I mean, you, you. Pe- I don't want to say people because I can't speak for nobody. I've come to understand that I only speak for me, and even me speaking for me is not the same me that was here yesterday. Yet it is. And uh, it every day you may think something is going to go a certain way. You may try every way you can to control every action that you do, to 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 curb every word and phrase and every action that you do. And I promise you I'll you'll drive yourself nuts not only that it ain't gonna happen buddy it ain't not ain't none of it gonna be constant there are no constants there are no constants as much as you want to make a constant i've been you know i used to have a code i used to have a code that i lived by it was clear it was cut and it was dry and it was a representation of my dad's code i was taught that code and I touched on earlier that I went to a lot of schools and a lot of different places. And let me tell you, it ain't always easy for the new kid. And I got, I learned about the code of respect and, and I let that code color a great part of my life. Mm-hmm. And the code is flawed. The code is flawed. You cannot take a constant thing that you think about yourself as if, if this thing happens, then this other thing will happen or I will feel a certain way about it. You cannot do that. You can, but it's not going to serve you because there's no you're not going to control it. All you're going to control is is how is how many times you fail at at it. That's the thing is like you can't control the variables, so how are you supposed to control the outcome? That's right. Yeah. What you maybe you can control is your approach is the approach. You can, the only yeah the only thing is you that's the only thing you have control over but everything outside is you don't know how it's going to react you can I used to be a whitewater raft guide for some seasons on oh the here River. Let, let's go and, and and there's an approach to every rapid and these rapids will eat you alive and I don't care you may have went down a bunch of rivers and it could and you might have felt like it was an amusement ride but I guarantee you. That that guy that was taking you down knew knew how to approach things, right? It, the and, and once you get into a rapid and you approach it and you get on the wave train as it's called, uh, 
there ain't no getting off and and then getting through it successfully because once you commit once you commit no you already bought the ticket now you to, have to take once the you ride commit to a line there's a line once you commit to a line in a river that will take you to a wave or a series of waves across bank to bank and below those waves there's a deep deep pocket of water with oppressive force on the bottom that you, that, that unless you've experienced that you can't explain um, but those guys, their guides, and I, I did this, they know how to approach a rapid. Uh-huh. And and you know what? They don't do it the same way every time. But, but by the time they get on the line, they know they know what's fixing to happen. And, and, <clears throat> and even then, it is unpredictable. And I used to think to myself, some of these older guides have been doing this 30 years, 20 years, whatever. Like, these guys can do this blindfolded. But they, every and, and every day, like before we would all go down the river... They would, uh, uh, some of them would be apprehensive and nervous and, and I didn't understand why. Cause I'm like, these dudes are like, they're the best. Like, what are they ever, ever going to be worried about? And that was a lesson for me because I come to understand through my seasons of guiding that there were, there were no guarantees. I don't care what line you took, how many lines you took it. And sometimes the water wasn't going to do what you thought it was. Sometimes the people paddling were not going to do what you thought they were going to do. Sometimes you were not going to do what you thought you would do. And uh, one particular time in this relatively, I call it my nemesis because I was in that hole a lot. And I finally got to where I could get through it with only me coming out of the boat. <laughs> and, and even it was funny because some of my bros and, and there were men and women, you know, got him would uh, go in ahead of me and go ahead and set up safety because they knew that they were going to have to save me at this particular one uh-huh. and i went through it one time and i came out the back i finally got my technique down and I, I and i gave that thing so much respect and uh i came out the back and uh i got pressed directly to the bottom of the river and i can tell you that if you struggle when you're in one of these holes well you you, you may or you might come out you might not you may be struggling until the struggle's done. But what you can do, don't quote me on this and don't go try it, you know, because I'm t- this is about me. You it, can flatten out calmly and just let it take it. And it, it will float you to the top. You can ball up and it will spit you out the bottom. But if you flail and you kick and you fight, it will wash you like a washing machine it, it, you 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 will you will get totally ran around i mean let's and, just back up to tennessee just for a minute it's like i mean how'd you even get involved with this oh wow well i knew of someone who i just met someone uh who became sort of a river mentor for me don and uh he came in for something on his off days the river only ran on this is a dam regulated river when the dam is, you know, the dam opens, the river's running. Yeah. And when the dam is not open, the river ain't running. And some days the raft companies can take you down the river, and some days they can't. And some days the water flows this. And so there's lots and lots of moving pieces to rivers and guides and boats that you never dream of when you pop on that thing. You always used to say, did you sign your release? Mm-hmm. You never know what's going to happen. I've got plenty of those stories. But anyway, so I met him, this this guy, and, and tells me these many stories about the river. Now, I had been canoeing 
for a lot of my life, and I, I was a boater. Mm-hmm. I had a canoe. Did I have a canoe? I bought a canoe later on the way to a Willie Nelson concert for two hundred dollars. <laughs> it's the one sitting right out there. <clears throat> it's a nineteen seventies Carmichael racing canoe, fiberglass. It's fine, but uh, he tells me about the river, and he says we're training guides right now, and he says and you. After talking to me, I, I was sort of burly, big beard, long hair. I, he was a musician also. Has a great album. Um, and he says, you can come and train. And you could be a guide. And, he, and here's great stories and everything. And I said, so when's this thing happening again? He says, well, Thursday. <laughs> you know, this is a Tuesday. Thursday, you know, show up. You know, we'll train you. I was like, really? Sure. That is it. So, okay. Well, forgot all about it. He forgot all about it. Everybody forgot all about it. I didn't forget about it. I'd already been doing lots of long-distance hiking at the time. I used to go out with a backpack and, and go for as long as I could into the wilderness with just enough water and food to survive. And and uh, and that was a great joy for me in those days is to, to know that, uh, okay, I'm trailing around, but I'll get back to the river. I used to love to hike. Because I loved the idea that you could take enough water and enough and a little bit of food and enough knowledge and enough courage. Mm. And for many days, you could hike into the middle of nowhere and, and enjoy the splendor of nature and, uh, and hike out, you know, or stay there or whatever. And it was a lesson for me that may not have served me as much as I wanted to because what I, what I began to realize when I was doing all that hiking was that the lessons that I learned there were that you, I didn't need all of the things that people need and want to make a life. That in fact, to breathe in and breathe out and put one foot in front of the other, all I needed was some water and a little bit of food. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole idea of like, there's only three things that a human needs to survive. And those, those, scrape and fight over it is shelter food water anything right. anything other than that is perception and it's it's because someone else told you that you needed that it is a value system that you have created or someone has helped you create or you've been indoctrinated in mm-hmm. and it existed before you showed up and it will exist long after you're gone and there were people that will argue with you as long as you want to argue about what is right, about who is working where, about what your job is, what your what your purpose is. But what I came to understand when on those long, long, lonely walks in the middle of nowhere is that I could be fulfilled in my heart. And you know, I turn you don't even really actually need water if you if you got a water filter, or you can locate water and. Uh, kind of ruined me in a way and uh and then when i got up to the river now i get to the river and uh and i went in to the uh to the headquarters of this particular company to the owner one of the owners and i walked right in it was early in the morning and uh, i said i'm daniel sharp and i want to be trained to be a guy mm-hmm. he didn't say a word not a word he looked right back at me and he says this is the afternoon, not the morning. He says, show up here at six in the morning and we'll train you. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I turned on a walk out. And as I was walking out, I saw they had this logo for their company. And it was a, it might as well have been a character of me. 
and it, it had the beard and the long hair yeah. and the brawny person with a guitar. And I didn't have a guitar on my back, but I was a guitarist that yeah. usually had and one. And he knew that. Maybe. I don't know. That. I doubt it. Honestly, I doubt it because of my friend that... And what I come to understand is when you put your uh, stamp on a guide, if there's a new guide that's coming to guide and you're like, I rep this person, like I'm going to... I'm going to speak up for this guide, you know. Well, nine times out of ten, I don't care. They're not going to make it. The the guides are not going to make it through training. They are not going to be a guide. I come to understand that later. So it was very, people were very hesitant. I was, I, I was told I could go, but I don't think I was given any, any sort of build up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, well, I saw the picture and I just chuckled. And I showed up at six o'clock next morning. And I started going down the river mm. and uh, getting trained. And the guide program was two weeks. And uh, you're supposed to take it. Well, and I guess I excelled fast. I don't know. The truth is uh, sometimes they need guides. And uh, a week after, a week after, I was in my little part of the camp. It was uh, like at the base of this mountain. I had my own little section, had my tent. I already good at that. And that same owner rolled up there in his uh, blazer. And he says, uh, Daniel, he says, uh, we need you on the river today to work. And I said, well, I got a week left of training. He says, no, he says, we've been watching you. You can do this. You're, you're, you're going to do this. You're trained and we need you. We want you today. And I went up there. Oh, I mean, I was, you know, uh, and I got, uh, I'll show you what I didn't, t- I didn't tell my guests that it was my ever first time. Ever oh no. It. Yeah. But, well, uh, y'all want some cool facts? Hey, but to go down this but, dangerous river? No, but we made first it. time. Nobody got, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't drop anybody out. We made it. Everybody had a great time. I didn't surf any waves that day cause I didn't know how. But I did the main job was I, I well, to be honest with you, I followed, I just followed the other guys. I did what they did. And, uh, I, and un, un, unknowing to me, there's a trick move around this, uh, this one particular rock where you spin the boat around. It's quite advanced. And, uh, or you can go down the left side, which is quite deadly. <laughs> and uh, so I, I learned this trick move on my first week. Uh, my first day, I don't remember, went to spin around this rock and go down this other side. And, and to this day, that's the way I would go down there, you know. And uh, uh, I'll, okay, Witch's Hole. All right, when you if you go up there, if you go down, you ever hear somebody call it Witch's Hole? Well, I've never, I'm going to tell something to myself. I've never guided straight through the heart of Witch's Hole. I always went to the right and did a little spin move. So sorry to anybody that ever hears this. Like I remember that guy. Well, he he totally messed totally messed this up on Witch's Hole, huh? No, trust me. You wanted to go down the right side. Yeah, <laughs> I did you right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so how did we get on that? I don't know. I think I brought us into that. We're trying to talk about Oxford. Yeah, yeah. Back to Oxford. Uh, we we got it. We got off into that by talking about. Uh, I think taking chances. Right. Taking chances. We were talking about lines. Mm-hmm. Lines in the water. That's it. That's how we got there. And, uh, Oxford. Where are we going with that? Uh, I mean, just how you, how'd you wind up in Oxford? And, uh, I mean, just some of the characters. I mean, we have, uh, you showed me some great art. I mean, there was a lot of people that you met while you were there. Okay, yeah, Oxford. Characters. Full of them. It wasn't those days anyway. It was the late 90s. And, uh, went to Oxford. Fell into a house with a friend of mine, roommate. Great place. Hidden back. Brick house. Red brick house. It was like a, I would walk to the square. 
And the first night I was in town, I went up to this upstairs bar and uh, I had a beer and uh, someone was struggling out in the hallway trying to hang a car door on a, on a wall. And uh, I walked out and grabbed a hold of my end and we, we chained it up. Hey, says, uh, who are you? I told him who I was. Who are you? I own this place. Well, good. We'll go back in. We're talking a little while. I said, uh, hey, I need a job. You got a job for me? <laughs> he says, I've got a job for you. Just like that. Oh, I just held him on a car door, you know, truck door. And uh, come on in. I'll start you tomorrow. So I felt like first night, bam, got me a job, cool yeah. bar, upstairs, went in, prep cook, you know. Work, I did that a little while. Worked my way from uh, prep cook around to uh, the front where I was uh, serving food, which I loved. I was a fantastic at that. I like to think. Uh, I know I was. I took care of my people. Uh, and when they needed a bartender, I was a bartender uh, also. And the most important thing about that whole deal is we had music seven nights a week. Seven oh, yeah. nights a week. That was our deal. By the way, that's every night. Yeah, that's every night. <laughs> and I didn't work every night, but I was there every night. And I saw, and I began to uh, meet every musician in town. Everyone. Such as Jimbo. Um, strangely enough, I didn't meet him through that, through that association. Oh, yeah. no, oh. I, no, I didn't meet Jimbo through that. I, was, I became aware of Jimbo oh. in Oxford. And I saw Jimbo at other places, but Jimbo actually never played at the place I was at, but I was associated. I mean, they all, the rest of them knew Jimbo, you know. But I, I, I didn't actually get to meet him through that particular association. So weird. But uh, one night, it was one evening, well, the band canceled. And uh, we're talking in the back, and owner says, uh, what are we going to do? He says, the band canceled. We need somebody. And I just offhandedly said, I'll play. And what? He says, what? You play? I said, sure I do. Okay, you, you got a PA? Yeah. Huh. Well, you ain't let me down yet. Are, are you sure? Are you I'm sure I will come and I will play tonight. Okay, this was lunch. I, uh, now, how many live shows did you have under your belt at this time? At this time, Because, I mean, we many. talked high school. This time, I had many, many shows at this time. Um... But I didn't have very many solo shows at all. I had mostly um, band shows with people backing me up or me backing with, with help. You know, mm-hmm. mostly always had a group of some kind, at least two or three people. Most always. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to struggle to remember any solo show before that, and I can't. So it could have very well been my first solo show. And there's a great pictures of all this stuff somewhere rolling around. And, uh, but, um, and as it turns out that night would also not be a solo show for me, (laughs) but I thought it might be. So I remember later that night, well, first off I was walking around Oxford that afternoon and someone was playing for tips on the street and I walk up and, uh, and, uh, I said, uh, Hey, I dig your stuff. Something like that. What are you doing? You know? Well, I'm jamming right here on the street. Who are you? I'm Moonpie Curtis. And I said, well, I'm Jeremiah Free. And uh, 
the reason I said I was Jeremiah Free was uh, when I lived in uh, Hattiesburg many years before, I wrote this song called Jeremiah Free. And I thought to myself, oh, if you're, if, well, if you're Moon Pie Curtis, then I'm Jeremiah Free. If right. you're not going to tell me your name, I'm going to not tell you my name. I'm right Jeremiah on. Free. Yeah. That's great. He loved that. And uh, I said, uh, I'm playing here tonight. I still do that today, though, Daniel. It's oh, like, yeah? you know, it's like someone walk up and introduce, are you Alan Aldrich? Well, that depends. Right. What's it depend on? <laughs> what you've heard. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm not to sidetrack you, no, but I mean, says, it is that way, though. I say, I'm playing here tonight. He says, you play here tonight? I said, yeah. Jeremiah Free is going to be playing right here tonight. All right. And I said, hey, why don't you play? You want to play? You can play with me. Well, we'll do a show here. He says, yeah, man, I'll do a show. All right, well, it's me and you then. Moon Pie Curtis and Jeremiah Free. We're going to play tonight right here at this place. And, uh, what a lineup. Hey, who knew? <laughs> and uh, I remember going home later that evening and calling my mother <laughs> and asking her for the third verse of Country Roads <laughs> on the telephone. There wasn't no internet. Right. And uh, writing it down. I was like, I got a show here and I might have to play this song. You know, she gave it to me. I did play that song that night. And I showed up and uh, Moon Pie showed up and we tuned up. And uh, about that time, the bar started filling up. I mean, it was getting full. Like, I mean, this by, is, by full, we're this a small is bar. Oxford Square. It is a square. By full, I'm talking about 20 people. Yeah, it wasn't like it was 100 people. But, but about 20 people rolled in. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I got this. I was like, they must have done somebody. They didn't heard about Jeremiah Free. Well, let me tell you what it was. They didn't heard about Moon Pie Curtis. Uh, Moon Pie Curtis already had a, had a following. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was from Oxford and everything. And he's great. And uh, me and Moon Pie co-showed that. And uh, that was my introduction to play music in Oxford. And I'll be honest with you, I only played one or two originals on the whole night. The whole night. And I don't even play those originals anymore. One of them was called uh, Blues Come On In. As I walk away, I got my back turned to the wind. Blues come to me just like a long-lost friend. That was how it started out. And I played, And the blues, they carry me away. And the blues, they tell me that you would never stay. Oh, blues, come on in. Weird that I... Oh, Three Decembers. I had this used to have this song called Three Decembers. Haven't seen you, girl, in near three Decembers on the wind your name. I whisper as it, as it reaches in the night. Three I love, Decembers. I, I love to play with stuff like that. Is uh, I want to recycle this. We mm. talked about like plagiarizing ourselves. Ourselves. My and, mama said you called me sometime late December, but she didn't remember why. Mm. You know, it was it was it was one of them songs. I later played that on the radio. I had a, and I want to recycle it, and like this is not verbatim, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to recycle, but it's plagiarism myself. It's, girl, I ain't seen you in a month of Sundays, but if, uh, I'll be there if you'll be there. Uh, if you'll, well, I f- fuck that up. Girl, I haven't seen you in a month of Sundays, but I'll be at church if you want to come and find me. Or it was something along those. Right. Like playing on, like, Cause like three December's and like, I I love playing with time like that because I think it's like time could be a construct like we said it's it's yeah. not linear it's a, it's circle. a circle yeah it's like so we can talk about time however I yeah. see fit right I later got a hold of a bass player Eric Deaton uh, Eric Deaton 
For this show? No, for, for more shows. Not yeah. that show. For more shows, Eric Deaton played bass with Jeremiah Free up at the bar. <laughs> he was a young kid. I'm talking about young, piercing eyes, blonde hair. Oh, yeah. And uh, we became friends. Eric Deaton played bass uh, for our show many times up there. And Eric told me one time, he says, you want to go to Junior's with me? I said, what's Junior's? Mm-hmm. And now you know what you know what Junior's is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's Junior Kimbrough's place. And you go there on Sundays in my circle of time. I'm still going there right now. We're riding. Mm-hmm. And I had the truck. So me and Eric Deaton rode out there. And, uh, well, Eric, of course, you know, if you know Eric's history, he was real tight with, uh, all those guys. Uh, yeah, and that's not, his story now, not mine. Yeah. But, uh, Eric, Eric was family mm-hmm. at Junior Kimbrough's, literally. He was literally family in those days. And so we went in the back door of the little white house, you know, and, uh, well, Junior was sitting there in his chair right by the back door and, uh, Eric's kind of quiet, you know, he says, uh. Hey, you know, it's, just, it's my friend from Oxford, Daniel Sharp, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Junior says, uh, hey, Danny, he said, you drink corn? I didn't exactly, I honestly didn't know what that meant, what that phrasing meant. Oh, uh, and I hadn't cool. ever heard it referred to, referred to as corn. <laughs> Do you drink corn, he says. I'm guessing moonshine. But I knew, you may guess right. You might be guessing right. And uh, But I knew that I did, no matter what it was. <laughs> right. This gentleman it's seemed Junior Kimbrough. I didn't know who that. I didn't know what that who that was or what that meant yeah. either. I had no clue. I just knew that this gentleman asked me if I drank corn. I said, I, I sure did. So the first thing out of Junior Kimbrough's mouth when you met him was, "Do you drink corn?" That's correct. And I said <laughs> yes. And he came out of what's known as his ass pocket, ass pocket full of whiskey, you know, with a with a with some corn. And he handed it to me. Well, so I I took a big old drink of Junior's corn whiskey, and for the and and uh, let me tell you what, I'll tell you what, son. It it uh was something else, and I gave uh, like I took a, more than I should, probably bigger drink, <laughs> and uh, I was able to hand it back to him before I let go of a holler and a spin. I spun around on my feet. And uh, evidently, it was the funniest thing that had happened there ever, all day at least, all afternoon probably. And they all laughed about that. Uh And uh, then, uh, so we made it through our night. You know, we were in the night, you know, I had some bush beer for a dollar. That was great. Um, There were a few other people that showed up from Oxford, one of which I recognized, and I'll visit him in a minute, but I didn't talk to him that night. And uh, not many people from Oxford that you know came and then about halfway through junior had done played several sets and then rl burnside came in oh yeah and uh <clears throat> i remember uh eric it's like hey hey this is my friend yeah daniel from oxford it's to, to rl burnside yeah. and uh, he just looked square right at me looked right in the eye and put his hand out there and i sh- shook hands with him and uh he i don't remember i was way far in at that point Good to meet you. Some acknowledgement of some kind, you know. All right. Yeah. So I'd just been introduced to Junior and RL as as a friend of Eric. And RL, the last thing he did was shake my hand, and he stepped right up, stepped right down, sat on that chair in the stage. And the next thing out of his mouth was, "Well, well, 
well. Mm-hmm. And then it got deep. And uh, this dude from Oxford, who I had, I kind of knew who he was, worked his way into the into the middle of the flow, mm-hmm. and he started this dance, the most one of the most unusual dances I'd ever seen because it looked like a rooster strutting around the yard. He he was flapping his arms and cricking his knees. And strutting in a dance like a rooster, and there was, oh, everybody loved it. And I, I, I'm known to do that dance today, <laughs> on certain occasions. I went ahead and took that one. They caught the rooster. I'm known. Strut. I may not be known, but I'm known to some. When you break me loose on a dance floor, sometimes things happen, and uh, I got at least twelve moves, you know, and each one independent of the other and that is one of them is that particular one and anyway well we that night was over made it back we went home it was great i went out there many times mm-hmm. uh someone Derek, someone not i, I, I saw uh, there's plenty of famous people around oxford you know i'm not going to start naming them but i mean they, like in your mind at that time did you realize that you were stepping into a juke joint or music was real uh i i quickly realized that i was somewhere that i'd never been and somewhere that wasn't i was it was magic it was it was it was there was something in there it was something in there it was something extraordinary that i'd never experienced in my life when i heard this music i heard all those classic songs that we now like to listen to on our record players mm-hmm. and uh and i went back many times As a matter of fact one time i got left out there my ride left <laughs> out there and i was the last one from oxford out there and and at this particular time, late at that, late in the night, Junior and there wasn't no RL that night, and Junior had done been gone. If he was ever there to begin with, I can't remember. He's probably there that night. I don't know. I didn't know a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'd been been out there. I kind of, but at this night, I was just some dude from Oxford. You know, I don't have no Eric Deaton out with that night. And I'd done been left. So, what I decided to do was gamble at some pool. Do a little <laughs> hustle. Well, I ain't gonna call it hustling. But I was going to bet. And uh, I I like to play pool. I used to anyway. And uh, so, uh, I mean, it was something to do besides be standing around being left. I needed to do something. Right. And and, and I needed to do it fast. Yeah. You know, and I, and you don't just, you ain't just going to walk out of there. I mean, there's, there. Where are you going to walk? Where are you going to walk? You're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And uh, so I started playing pool, and I started winning. I started making some money, and uh, well, I ended up. I guess I can talk about this now because uh, it's been so many years, and that place don't ain't there anymore no or whatever. You know, you ain't supposed. To, everybody knows you ain't supposed to gamble on pool. You ain't supposed to do. You ain't supposed to drink corn whiskey. There's all these things you ain't supposed to do. But you know, twenty three year old dude, you know. I started winning, and uh, well, I ended up f- figuring out that uh, there that uh, you don't get to keep all that money. You, there's a cut to be given somewhere, and so when that was called for, I gave a cut, you know, to whoever. I ain't saying. And uh, subsequently, I said, uh, but I did formulate a plan as to what I would do. I mean, uh, what I was going to do. And I looked all around, and there were there was a hill near there, and it was fully wooded, mm-hmm. and. Uh, if it came to it, 
I was going to slip away into the night and sleep on that hill. And at the break of day, I was going to hitchhike out of there. But I decided I wasn't going to hitchhike out in the middle of the night. So, but I, you know, that's stupid. I didn't have to do that. I'll tell you why. I, I, in the middle of that, I said, hey, I, I done been left. I need a ride to Oxford. And I can, I got some gas money. Well, uh, I was provided with someone mm-hmm. to give me a ride. Uh, I gave him gas money and uh, they took me to Oxford where I, where I needed to go. And uh, that's the end of that story right there. That is uh, the conclusion of part two of Daniel Sharp. If you haven't done so already, I would ask you to rate and review the show. You can find us on social media, Porch Talk on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also follow Daniel Sharp. Till next time for part three. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.